0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got my Bible open to the first chapter of Ephesians, and it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's the way to start today. As we've got a busy day, we've got Rob Bluey coming on in just a minute. Then Mo Aiken is going to be joining the program. She wrote a book called Fully Known, an invitation to true intimacy with God. I think that's going to be a wonderful interview as well. And then the second hour, Dr. Mark Muska will be, in to take your questions, and I know you've got them, so you can start sending them over to me anytime you like. You can send them to 877 or you can email them to bill at myfaithradio.com. Rob Louis is the executive editor of The Daily Signal and also my go-to guy, my Washington D.C. correspondent, and my way I start Tuesdays. Rob, welcome. Thanks,
1: Bill. It's good to be with you today. And uh, yes, uh, it's a it's a big day, um, not only here in Washington, but all around the country.
0: Yeah, I think all eyes right now are on Minneapolis, as I think as we speak, they're uh, getting ready to read the verdict of the Derek Chauvin trial. So it'll be interesting to find out uh, how they have decided that and the fact that they made a decision so quickly. Um, My tendency would be that there's going to be some guilt.
1: Uh, Bill, uh, closing arguments yesterday, uh, the jury deliberated for about uh, four hours Monday afternoon and another six hours today. So, yeah, a total of 10 hours is not a long time uh, for a jury to conduct such deliberations into such a case. And um, and it would suggest that, uh, that that's going to happen, but we will find out. In a few moments, of course, uh, uh, Derek Chauvin faces three charges. Uh, one is second-degree unintentional murder, um, and one is second-degree manslaughter, and the uh, third is uh, third-degree murder. So um, we'll be keeping a close eye on that, and I expect that uh, you know both you and I can <laughs> share with our audience here um, what, what happens and some initial reactions. I know there's a huge crowd that's amassed outside the courthouse.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised. And I know the uh, National Guard has assembled, and they are, I think, ready for... The disruption that uh, will or will not happen. I'm more likely to say it will happen at some level, but you never know. Bill,
1: it'll be interesting to watch. Some people have suggested that even if it is, even if he is found guilty, um, some in the crowd might still resort uh, to to violence. Um, and uh, and and it might depend on what the charge is. Now I am praying, Bill, that uh, as, as somebody who witnessed this up close and personal in Washington D.C. over the summer, that uh, that uh, individuals will not resort uh, to looting, looting, and rioting, and and all those destructive
0: behaviors. I so hope you're right. Um, I don't know if you saw any of the closing arguments. Uh, I thought both the prosecution and the defense uh, laid out their their uh, position uh, quite well and. We will see. It's um, one curious as to if the jurors were, um, how they were not affected at some point by all of the publicity and the attention that the case got, as well as the $27 million settlement the Floyd family got in advance of the, uh, the trial.
1: Bill, I was surprised that uh, that they weren't sequestered during the actual uh, trial. They were sequestered, obviously, when they began um, their deliberations. But uh, yeah, it um, it even reached the point where, or the judge, um, really chided a U.S. Congresswoman, Maxine Waters, for for comments that she made about. Um, Uh, you know taking things kind of into their you know people taking things into their own hands and Mm -hmm. resorting to violence and and the judge talked about how uh, you know that could be a grounds for appeal and so i think that uh our our leaders um hopefully are on their best behavior uh in these next hours and uh and and really leading and and setting a, a positive example that that certainly wasn't the case um for those comments that she made but you're absolutely right um you know both sides uh took a different approach to this case uh, the prosecution uh, had uh, you know a significant amount of time that they spent uh, calling thirty eight people in total the defense by contrast uh, called just seven of course uh chauvin himself was uh, was not one of them he invoked his uh, his right not to testify so um you know a, a different strategy um, but uh, but certainly one that uh, we'll we'll get resolution to here soon
0: mm-hmm. what did you and your colleagues say about the trip that um, Congressman waters made to Minnesota over the weekend and when she was addressing the crowd in brooklyn park
1: uh, well i I think it's irresponsible for i i think first of all she has a history of making these incendiary remarks and and really trying to rile people up this isn't the first time she will have found herself in a media firestorm over this. Um, I think it's unfortunate though that that somebody who is a member of Congress would um, would would resort to that kind of a la- kind of language because I mean. <laughs> What what stirs a crowd, you know, uh, can really, uh, as we've seen recently, you know, take things out of control. And I think that that was uh, really unfortunate. And I was glad to see that the judge did weigh in and uh, and and call her out for that. Um, but uh, you know, we we live in heated times, Bill, and and I, I think this is a contribution to kind of the twenty four seven news cycle, social media, um, you know, all of those things combined. Uh, there's a, there's a lot. And and let's not forget that uh, you know I, I almost year ago when when we as americans watched what happened and watched those nine minutes uh we were all moved in in, in very different ways and mm-hmm. it, it led to a, a lot of the uh the violence that we saw over the summer in some cases it led to reforms and police uh, led to big changes so um and and you know we're still not we're still not done yet yeah. um there, there's still things that are in the works but we will
0: uh keep a close eye on it yeah do you have your news feed up rob because the decision uh, has been made uh,
1: uh, B- Bill, I, I've got it. On, you know, you, you go ahead and you go ahead and announce it. I, I did not see it.
0: Well, no, it appears that he's guilty on all three counts.
1: Okay. Okay. Yes, I'm seeing that come across the ticker right now, and I see that they just took him out in handcuffs. Okay. So um, I did not hear it because we were talking, but um, mm-hmm. but based on on the on the the news ticker, um, so guilty on all counts and the death of George Floyd. So Mm -hmm. uh, there you have it. Um, He will of course have his opportunity to appeal as I expect he, he probably will. I believe the jury now has to go back and um and and make some other determinations uh to see if there were aggravating factors that existed uh, one of those aggravating factors is whether the victim was uh george floyd was treated with particularly particular cruelty and the second is if a child was present and there were some witnesses at the scene who said there were uh, were some people under age who were there at the time uh those aggravating factors could basically um increase the number of years that he will have to spend, um, behind bars. So, uh, that will, you know, more to come on that. And obviously sentencing will happen later.
0: Mm -hmm. I know the, uh, judge Cahill did suggest that the comments made by Maxine Waters, um, might create an opportunity for defense to appeal. Are you assuming that will happen? Are you thinking that is going to be, uh, Eric Nelson's next move for his client?
1: I I think that it, it, it probably will. I mean, Again, as we were just talking about, I, I think that the fact that there were so many things that were happening outside. I mean, I, I, Bill, I think you and I previously talked on a, on a show about the, the the city settlement and and the fact that how can you find a, a jury that's that's unbiased. I mean, there there could be, a, I guess, a whole host of things that uh, the defense would argue in an appeal. Um, but uh, I, I think it's going to be you know a high hurdle to probably overcome. Um, and what, let's not forget that uh, there could he. The officer could also face federal uh, criminal civil rights charges here uh, that's a decision that uh, certainly hasn't been made yet, but there is a grand jury that has been meeting to consider those charges so there's uh, a variety of things that uh, that certainly are are at stake and I think that um, uh, congresswoman maxine waters' comments uh, will will be a, a factor that is is probably considered
0: mm-hmm. when Maxine waters was here on, on Saturday night uh, when she was addressing the crowd, she was doing that after the curfew uh so she was in Ooh. violation of the curfew when she was addressing the crowd shouldn't lawmakers be paying attention to obeying the laws
1: oh absolutely or is that just me?
0: there's yeah there there's <laughs> there's no doubt about it
1: i mean uh but but bill this is um uh this is something that we have seen repeatedly and and not just in this context uh i mean if you if you think about all of the laws and rules and restrictions that, that our leaders have put in place during COVID over the past year and then how they have gone out and, and violated the own rules that they put in place, uh, it's quite lengthy. In fact, we have a hypocrisy tracker on the Heritage Foundation's website uh, just to make note of all of these things and hopefully hold some of these elected leaders accountable and, and make them think twice. But, yeah, this is, um, this is uh, not necessarily surprising. It's, it's something that uh, they, they tend to do. And uh, particularly when you have a curfew in place for safety reasons, I think it's all the more important uh, for them to be uh, uh, on their best behavior and to abide by the rule of
0: law. Yeah, I agree. Rob, let's take a short break, a uh, minute or two early, just so we can reset and come back and continue this discussion. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal, and we'll uh, be right back. Listening to you on this Tuesday. We're starting off with Rob Louie, my guest, uh, who is a regular guest every Tuesday. Get things started here. He is the executive editor at the Daily Signal and also uh, my Washington, D.C. correspondent. And right now, um, we're just trying to process all that is going on at the courthouse in Minneapolis. The verdict has been read, and um, Derek Chauvin, the police officer, has been uh, found guilty on all three counts. And so he will then I guess be sentenced uh, probably in the next month or so Rob would you guess that's how it works that's it, it's unclear how
1: quickly that process mm-hmm. will, will move bill but uh I think that um one of the things that that will be interesting and i i don't know that there's any clarity from the judge on this um obviously the the verdict just came in, so um there will be probably some um some guidelines on how the sentencing works. Will will they run concurrently? Meaning, you know, one after another. Um, my my understanding, according to some some reporting coming out of um, uh, uh, even a, the local CBS affiliate there in um, in Minneapolis, the maximum penalty on a second degree murder charge is up to forty years in prison.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's twenty five years in prison for a third degree murder and ten years uh, for second degree manslaughter. Um, uh, Chauvin is forty-five years old. So, I mean, if you do add all those up together, I mean, I I, I think that, that that essentially means um, he'd be spending the rest of his life in prison. However, he doesn't have a have a prior you know criminal history, and and we know that people you know sometimes when they are, are in that setting um uh, are, are are released early. Um, I was watching um, Fox News, and Trace Gallagher was saying that uh, they they did an investigation to see how others who were charged under these these Particular um, uh, murder, uh, tr- you know, second degree murder and whatnot. Uh, uh, how much they spend, and um, uh, for instance, uh, even the New York Times I'm seeing now is reporting that you know the, the average, the sentencing guideline recommends a sentence of 12.5 years for someone who has no prior convictions for second degree murder. So you know, those are um, those are some of the things that we're we're looking at.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, how unusual is it to keep the jury anonymous? in court trials
1: uh well it's it's important because obviously they could face outside pressure um they should be able to now sometimes the jurors themselves bill will come out and and remove that anonymity right. and and you know speak publicly but that should be their decision others um i mean this is this is a it, i would expect that in many of the cases of, of the jurors it's a life-changing moment for them right i mean it's something a case this high profile um they uh could experience threats on, on their life i'm sure they could uh experience uh you know Book offers uh, probably right. any number of things. So, so yes, um, that is uh, that that's that's really important, and and we've seen in past high profile cases uh, the role that the jurors will 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 play. Um, again, I, I just go back, Bill. I, I I still think that you know in in this case, um, the fact that they weren't sequestered and all of this attention was was you know paid to the to the case. Um, you know, uh, th-
0: there
1: there had to be external factors that I I would imagine. I mean. Uh, Influence their, their views, and you just hope that they based it on the evidence that was presented to them. And in this case, I have no reason to believe that they didn't, um, but, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if the defense makes an argument, uh, uh, you know, in their appeal.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, I'd love for you to comment on the uh, ad that uh, K. Cole James uh, authored and released in advance of the Senate Judiciary Committee's um, Jim Crow 2021. Um, well...
1: Yes, what a what a day to um, for for both of these things to be happening, Bill. So yeah. in, in Washington today, all eyes were on the Senate Judiciary Committee where they had a hearing, which you correctly said was titled "Jim Crow 2021." Uh, many of the Republicans who were on the panel uh, spoke out and said that it was uh, un you know unwise for the Democrats to use that kind of language. Uh, because really there is no basis of comparison for what was happening in Georgia with uh, the, the terrible Jim Crow laws of uh, of years past and so uh heritage foundation president kay james who has been a guest on your program mm-hmm. uh, a black conservative leader uh, who herself integrate helped integrate uh, her school in virginia when she was um she was young and in middle school um she so she knows uh, firsthand uh, the civil rights struggle she is a civil rights leader and she says it is uh, insulting uh to black americans to to use that language and uh, and she made it known not only uh, in a in a short thirty second ad which we were uh, promoting uh, to Capitol Hill to make sure that the staff and the lawmakers would um, would would hear her perspective on this but also in a in a brand new op ed that's in the Washington Times today and she says uh, quote the right to vote is one of the most sacred rights that we have as free citizens. Free and fair elections are the cornerstone of our our republic, and every citizen, no matter their color, ethnicity, background, or political persuasion, must be able to trust the voting process and its results. And that is exactly why, Bill, she says that the Heritage Foundation and and our colleague, Hans von Spokosky, another guest you've had on the show, have made these recommendations. And the thing that I think is so frustrating for those of us who have worked closely with states like Georgia and Arizona and Iowa that have enacted reforms is that they're not all that different from other states that already have similar laws on the books. Mm-hmm. In, um, in, in uh, Georgia's case, it's not all that different from President Biden's home state of Delaware. What has happened is you've had people like President Biden and other leaders who I think are trying to take advantage of the attention that's been on Georgia – uh, to pressure companies. Some of those companies have, by the way, backed off, including Coca-Cola, which took a prominent stand initially, and now is uh, trying to find common ground <laughs> with with everyone. So I think that uh, I think we have a situation here where people simply didn't read the law. President Biden has been called out and given four Pinocchios by The Washington Post for repeating uh, the same uh, mis- uh, misstatements about the law over and over again. So, Bill, I I just hope that uh, we can we can have a debate on what's actually in the law as opposed to what people are, are perceiving is in the law.
0: When we say that we want to make it easier for American citizens to vote and just making it harder for cheaters to cheat, that that's just common sense, isn't it?
1: It is. And I think some of the things that we've pointed out, and we have an excellent piece on, on the Daily Signal. Um, and for those of you, uh, your listeners who subscribe to our, our Morning Bell email, uh, you would have seen it in yesterday's edition, where we went through the myths and the facts about uh, this particular law. And I think the one uh, – we, we we just focused on, on four of the biggest, and one of them was that the Georgia election law discourages voting and suppresses votes, as you just said. And it is not that at all. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is – that the Georgia law does not do that. It encourages and provides more access in terms of absentee ballots and early voting than even what some Democrat-led states have, as as I just indicated. So, um, you know, you you, you are seeing things in there um, about, you know, they they can't vote on Sunday. That's not true. There is still voting on on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, You know, one of the other big things that's in the law is, um, is about the voter ID requirements uh frankly again i just don't get this one uh people seem to suggest that it's it's racist to to require voter id but if you ask uh minorities in our country they overwhelmingly support um uh, having identification uh because it it helps them uh you know with the integrity you know uphold the integrity of our elections. So, you know, some of those things are are just um are, are just really out there including this the whole notion that the bill bans uh, voters from having water while they're waiting in line. It does no such thing. What it does is it says that You can't campaign, can't go handing out like favors uh, to voters to try to win their vote. Um, But if if an election official wants to to pass out water, that's fine. Um, But we've all been, I think, in situations where you know the Democratic Party or Republican Party will be stationed hundred feet from the polling place and maybe have cookies or something. I mean, I hope that that would take more to win somebody's vote. But (laughs) uh, but you know, I think that it's important to have some some limitations in place like this, and that's exactly what what the Georgia law does, uh, it really does try to cut down on those who who are cheating. And, and it really tries to get back to the point pre-pandemic where some of these changes that were made to accommodate uh, really the, the drastic situation we found ourselves in in 2020 uh, don't get carried forward. If you can show up in person and vote, you should show up in person and vote.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, I would imagine you're uh, concerned as a parent about what your kids are going to be taught in school
1: yes absolutely bill and uh, it is uh, it is something that has really um, uh, taken the nation by storm. In fact, I read this incredible letter you you would You would sometimes th- most of the fight seems to be on the public school front, but I actually think this is happening probably more frequently in some private schools and maybe some private schools with uh, with you know not necessarily um, uh, religious based private schools but some some private schools that uh, may have more of a woke agenda if you will. And uh, I read a piece uh, that was written by a parent uh, from a really pricey school in New York who uh, decided that he was going to pull his daughter out of the school because so much of the curriculum had come to focus on critical race theory and identity politics, and not on just the basics of education. And I think it was really unfortunate to read that a parent who would be paying, you know, upwards of, you know, $50,000 or more a year, uh, th- this is, again, not college we're talking about, this is like elementary and middle school and high school, um, Would the school would go so radically in that direction. And I think that um, we see from test scores that our, our kids have enough difficulty and trouble Uh, with just the basics, um, that we should stick to that, uh, while teaching them, you know, appropriate lessons about life, but not making everything viewed through the lens of of race. And I think that uh, that's certainly not what our founders intended, and that's not the direction that we should go.
0: And isn't that more or less the job of the parents?
1: It certainly is. I mean, you know me, I've been uh, strongly advocating for parental responsibility here, I enjoy uh, spending time with my own kids and uh, and helping them with their work. I think it also gives parents insight into what's going on in their school in their child's education when uh, they do spend that time with their kids learning about uh, what's being taught in school. So so take a step, take a moment. Uh, not only is it good family bonding time, but uh, but hopefully it'll make uh, more informed citizenry as a result.
0: Yeah, Rob, thank you uh, for processing uh, with me the verdict. It's been nice having you on the line uh, as this news came in. I appreciate your informed perspective. And uh, I, I just always enjoy talking to you on Tuesday. So thank you once again for being with me.
1: Thank you, Bill. And prayers go out to everybody there in Minneapolis. Indeed. and I hope everything is uh, safe and peaceful this yep. evening.
0: I've been praying all day. Thanks so much, Rob. Take care. Yeah. Have a great day. Rob Blue has been my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com, dailysignal.com to check out Uh, Rob and his colleagues who write over there. And also um, after our break, we're going to come back and talk to Mo Aiken. She's written a book called Fully Known. It's an invitation to true intimacy with God. And I think that's going to be a fascinating uh, way to go from our discussion with Rob into something that is on all of our hearts. We all want to be more intimate with God. And we're going to figure out uh, what Mo's got to say about that. We'll take a short break and be right back. obviously know what we were made for intimacy and spiritual intimacy with God is what it's all about. I mean, we want, we want oneness with him. We want to bear amazing fruit for him. So we're, we're made to know him and we want to know him completely. So why do you feel occasionally burned out? Maybe you feel a little bit distanced or maybe you feel like where am I with God right now? All right, so Mo Akin's written a book called Fully Known, an Invitation to True Intimacy with God, and uh, she's going to give us uh, her perspective on maybe uh, getting that back on track. Mo, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Yeah, thanks. So uh, I, I hear a lot of people, you know, occasionally talk about feeling disconnected from God or maybe they feel a little bit burned out from religion. And they want to know uh, what is it what does it mean to have a real deep, meaningful, soul-satisfying relationship with God?
2: right, yeah, it's uh, a profound question and an important question. It is the um, man the backbone really of what our faith stands on, right? Mm-hmm. That it is about relationship, not religion, that when we encounter the person of Jesus. When we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, it's this beautiful uh, life that's found outside of um, what we've known. And yet, a really, I guess, poorly discipled area or, or, or rarely discussed space in the Christian world is when you've been walking that or journeying on that faith journey and yet realize you feel disconnected, or you feel far, or uh, you're wrestling with, and is this the, the fullness of what this this blood bought, you know, grace really is capable of doing in my life? Because I, I'm I'm feeling off, and that sort of this book grew out of that space for me. I was doing many fruitful, wonderful things for the kingdom. I was going, I was laboring, striving. I mean, <laughs> married and and bearing children and. Um, you know, ministering, and uh, certainly not at a place of doubting or questioning my faith, but it was like my spirit came up for air one night, and I realized, I I had to be honest, I just felt so far from God, and Mm -hmm. I cried out to Him, just, what what is this? Your word says that you won't leave me or forsake me, and so have, have I missed you? Am I missing you? Why do I feel so far from you and close to really a point of burnout. Um, and it was at that place that he, in was kind of an interesting scripture. I think one that we uh, maybe run from, it seems kind of scary, but it, it really became the most beautiful invitation, Matthew seven twenty one through 23, that says, Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who do the will of my Father. Many on that day will say to me, Did we not prophesy, perform miracles, cast demons? but to them I will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you mm-hmm. workers of lawlessness. And I remember suddenly just thinking, oh, I've always dismissed this as these being the non-believers that he's saying, depart from me. But these were ones who called him Lord. And in fact, they actually argued back their good works, their their works that they produced. And yet his response was, but I never knew you. And I remember just sitting in that place being, Lord, then this must be what the faith hinges on. Then this must be a greater invitation to the fullness of what matters most, which is to really know your heart and to allow myself in full vulnerability to be known by you. And so I need you to show me what that looks like. I need you to show me how to value being with you more than just doing for you. Um, and that's sort of where we get this place of performative, you know, intimacy versus truly connective oneness um, and intimacy that that actually allows an intimate knowing, which is the great invitation of this, uh, this knowing love that he speaks of in Matthew 7.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, is it uh, more of a one-way street? Because God knows us completely. Um, he knew us before the creation of the world. So, Mm -hmm. Isn't it a one-way street where we have to get to know him? And I think of the word intimacy, if you break it down, I've heard it said that it means in to see me. So Mm -hmm. uh, how are we uh, getting close to him? And to me, that's how we fully know him is through his word and through our time uh, studying and fellowship and prayer and all that.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, if we look sort of at the picture that he gave me and and that I unpacked through this book, uh, we see the beauty of the fullness of what is covenantal love. Mm -hmm. So if we think about a marriage, a marriage covenant, it really is a mutual um, love, a mutual self-sacrifice, a giving and receiving that uh, both are making... Really, their uh, equal efforts, for lack of a better word. A lot of the times nowadays in marriage, we see, "Hey, will marry and then keep me happy, and if you don't, <laughs> I'm I'm out the door." And mm-hmm. that's a pretty broken, broken picture of intimacy that we see. But in this true, right-natured intimacy, there is a uh, mutual choice, and we know the beauty and the power of the fullness that God uh, has chosen us, that He's made a way for us, that He. Uh, upkeeps his end of the covenant perfectly because he is perfect love. Our invitation is to draw near, to receive of that, to love because he loved us first. And I think even as it's prophesied in Genesis, when we look at the scripture many of us pull for the first marriage, we actually see the gospel prophesy that a man would leave his father's house, that he would, come and receive his bride, that the two would become one flesh, and that they would be naked and unashamed. Well, this is uh, really the work of the gospel as well, because we know when we took this bait by the enemy, when sin entered in and deceives us and pulls us away from this perfect unity that was known in the garden, the rescue mission of Christ, this bridegroom who came for his bride, Christ leaves his father's house. He left his father's house to come and receive his bride. And the two come together. They become one flesh when we accept him, when we receive him. And in that, uh, we can become naked and unashamed really spiritually before God. Again, we can know this oneness that is Uh, not like Eve hiding behind the fig leaves. It's no longer us hiding behind our shame or our guilt or our fear, Um, but that we've not only pursued and sought who he is, more of his character, more of his heart, more of his nature in prayer, in the word, in fellowship, in communion with the Holy Spirit, but we've also allowed ourselves to, to, um, man be ministered to by his spirit, to be sanctified, to come out from hiding, to allow him to uh, see and touch and heal the deepest and most broken parts of us. So it certainly is that he already knows every hair on our head, absolutely, that he uh, is in full knowledge of who we are. It's are we going to come into agreement of that uh, with that and no longer hide, no longer be ashamed, no longer feel like. Him pointing out the sin that He desires we turn from be something of condemnation, but that it is actually for our good. It's for our sanctification. And we can truly, fully bring ourselves to Him as we explore the fullness of who He is too.
0: Mm -hmm. So if we're going to be fully known just on a personal human level, we would think that the person that really wants to fully know us is going to be listening to us, hearing us, What about when people feel like, um, I want to be really intimate with God and I'm, I'm praying my prayers, but I don't feel like they're being answered. And what can they do to be heard by God?
2: Oh, that's a great question. It is the truth of knowing, um, that he is, (laughs) he hears us, that he hears the cries of our heart, that he, um, man knows our days even before we've moved into them that he is with us Um, i think a lot of the time our struggle or at least mine as i realized as he was ministering to me through this space was often i would steal away with him i'd go to that quiet place right and i would begin to um bring all of my prayers my needs my angst the fullness of um myself to him. But I often sort of upped and walked out before I took the time to sit and be still and listen and receive his response. And so I think sometimes we might feel this uh, like maybe we're not seen or we're not heard or he's just abandoned us or left us. When the busyness or the noise or the chaos or the distractions or our circumstances in life kind of force us out of that intimate place, whether it be quite literal in a prayer closet or, you know, in our car or, or wherever we find that quiet time, or if it be the intimate place even of our, our hearts and our minds as we're going about our day and coming to commune with Him. I think sometimes we're—I uh, should speak for myself really here. I'm a bit of a word vomiter, and then when it comes to <laughs> hearing what has to be said in response— Suddenly the distractions of life or my own thoughts can really pull me away. And so what I discovered is the beauty of this intimate place with God is um, the, the intentionality of just like Mary, as we see Mary and Martha in the scriptures of sitting at his feet, of receiving from him as well, of prioritizing the time in his presence and the humility really in his presence that we would um open our ears, open our hearts. Sometimes his answer to our prayers are different than the specifics of what we're praying. And um, the more we sort of Galatians 5.25 live by the Spirit and stay in step with the Spirit, humble ourselves before him, the more we'll become in tune with this good shepherd's voice, what it sounds like, sometimes when it's correcting us, sometimes when he's guiding us, sometimes when he's calling us to a change in direction. Um, and the more we're in tune with that good shepherd's voice, which the word says is always speaking, he's always speaking to his sheep. The more we will feel that intimacy that, uh, brings answer, maybe in unlikely forms or in different ways than what we're expecting. Uh, just because it doesn't look or sound exactly like the, uh, exact answer we're hoping for. doesn't mean that he's left or that he's absent or that he's, Uh, not working all together for his good, uh, for our good and for his glory. Um, Sometimes his voice is just actually something we need to spend more time listening for. There's that really simple prayer that we see Samuel pray, right? Speak, Lord, your Mm -hmm. servant is listening. And that has been one that's been like a key and unlocked intimacy for me when I've certainly brought him my prayers, my needs, my woes, my fears, but I've also ended them by saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening, I love and then that. really spent time receiving
0: too. Mm-hmm. Well, Aiken is my guest. She's written a book called "Fully Known: An Invitation to True Intimacy with God." After a short break, we'll be right back with lots more. with Mo Aiken. Mo, are you a Maureen?
2: I'm a Moreland.
0: Moreland? Which is
2: a name my parents made up, so you probably haven't heard it
0: too I have Every Mo I know is a Maureen, so you're. Yes. how do you spell Moreland?
2: It is M-O-R-L-A-N. My mom's maiden name was Moore, and her mom's name was Jacqueline. Oh, That's so beautiful. put those two together and then, yeah, changed the spelling a little and made a beautiful name. And then the moment I was born, my dad called me Mo Monster. And that was the end of that story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's adorable. All right. In your book, Fully Known, you, you, you do mention that true intimacy comes with great cost. I would mm-hmm. probably love for you to say more about that. What do you mean?
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, it sort of goes back to what we were talking about even a second ago, this, this mutual covenantal commitment. I think a lot of the times, um, in the American church, and in, in, in the church as a whole, we've we've struggled some, uh, to put it lightly, with buying buying into and and bearing very little to poor fruit from a real grace abusing gospel message that we pray a prayer one time and then we live however we please, right? though so he'll certainly and you know, he'll forgive me, and no, there's grace for that, and. Uh, it really doesn't look like lives of faith or walks that um, are carrying much of a cross. It, it looks a lot like uh, wanting the benefits of God without really wanting God. And um, what I realized even as I was journeying through understanding greater intimacy with him and he was showing it to me through this picture of of the marriage model of this covenantal love was the power of what this mutual exchange uh, looks like and the way that it looks in our lives uh, christ has given all for us right and so all of our lives in true love would be laid down in response uh he's he's given us the fullness of himself and so it's the fullness of ourselves that we're to bring to the table really if we want to know the full power of what that cross even afforded us it's um it's not a lukewarm type of life it is a fully his fully uh, available surrender mm-hmm. and that word i mean we hear words like submission and they scare us right they they carry a lot of different connotations for us especially dependent upon you know, exchanges that we've experienced in our own lives or ways that's been used against us or whatever it may look like. But the beauty of the truth of submission, which if we understand Christ as the bridegroom, ourselves as the bride, uh, that even as God spoke to Eve in the garden, your desire will be to rule over man, but you must submit to him. That's him saying to the church, your desire is going to be to kind of make your own way, to rule over even the lordship of Jesus, but um, the the great invitation for you is that you you should submit to it, and this submission it comes. The Latin root of this would be like submetir, which means to come under the sending. And when we start to understand the true invitation of submission of this. Um, yielding our will to his, of laying down our lives in response to all that he's done for us. We realize we're not coming under a a, um, oppression. We're coming under the beauty of his sending, of his assignment, of his kingdom work, of all that God is doing here on earth, as it will be in heaven. And saying yes to that, man, it can come with what seemed like really real, tangible, worldly cost, right? Mm -hmm. We are giving our time. We're giving of our energy to different things. Generosity becomes a move. I mean, even the process of humility and sanctification, that can sting sometimes. The things he calls us to set down because they're not for our best or to turn from, to repent of. We really don't love the word repentance. And it's one of the most beautiful words in the full gospel feast. But he is calling us to the beauty of uh, a mutual covenantal love that has the power to really transform and change things in our own hearts and in the world around us. Um, But that is sometimes the the cost becomes the fear, right? We start calculating the cost and um, we we wonder what it's going to, what it's going to cost us, what we're going to have to give up, what we're going to have to turn from what sin he might point out in us that Um, We don't don't know if we really want to part from, if we're being honest. But I like to encourage people, and I I do in the book as well, to focus also on the gain. We think so much about the cost that we forget the beauty of the gain, that to co-labor with Christ, to agree with him, to submit our will to his, man, it always bears powerful fruit. It is for our good. He loves us. He delights in us for this. Covenantal love to flourish, man, he's leading us in the way we should go. And so these costs actually, um, man, they're usually the things that hinder us from knowing the fullness of gain in life in Christ, this life abundantly offered to us, because um, we fear what are, you know, sort of the fleshly or the worldly cost to that. But it's a beautiful decision to make to, um, to love him because he loved us first and to to respond um, in the ways that He already showed us. His power is made manifest in forgiveness, in generosity, in selflessness. And uh, it's a beautiful journey, but it doesn't always feel great. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's really hard, but yeah. it's really holy.
0: Well, encourage the listener who maybe is on a little bit of a plateau and has not been actively pursuing their relationship with God— maybe we can get them nudged out of their out of their comfort zone a little bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, if the nudge of Matthew 7 <laughs> isn't one that two hands shoves people out of their comfort zone realizing the importance, in fact, the essential nature really of this intimacy with God, that was what at least for my personality type I needed that bit of a shake up to say, wow, I I, I, I don't want to buy into what anyone else has told me. I want to read the word of God and have the Spirit bring it to life for me. And when I did, I saw that powerful, essential nature of of prioritizing my life to make the room to draw near. Usually that's our problem, right? We're we're busy, we're goers, we're doers, we're doers, we're Marthas. Um but I also found even in navigating that and for people who are at different places, the beauty and the truth that his mercies are new every morning. It's not a fearful two-hand shove to make sure you're in his presence more. It's, it's actually a beautiful invitation. He desires to be with us. He He loves us. He wants to heal the wounds that are within us. He wants to Reveal to us the fullness of who we were made to be, layers of ourselves that only He knows and only come by revelation in His presence. And a lot of life circumstances, a lot of uh, challenges in relationships, a lot of distractions are the very things that culminate to keep us out of His arms. But I, I came across Isaiah 30, I believe it's Isaiah thirty, fifteen, one one day when I was preparing a message and. He was speaking to what he calls the rebellious Judah. And um, he said to them, man, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. And another version would say, it's only in repentance and in resting in me will you be saved. And I just thought, you know, this isn't speaking solely of eternal salvation. This is the very saving so many of us need each and every day, saving from the anxiety that gripped us or the depression or the circumstances of life or the fear or whatever it is, fill in the blank, that consumes us and keeps us kind of apathetic. Because we have a very real enemy who doesn't want us intimate with God, who doesn't want us to come to know the fullness of our identity in him, especially not to be activated in the power of what his love brings forth. But I want the saving today, now, tomorrow, forevermore. And that comes only by returning to him and resting in him. So for those who feel dry or stagnant, I would really encourage them to begin to ask, why is it, what is it that keeps me out of the word, that keeps me out of prayer, that keeps me out of, you know, communion with God? And, uh, What would it look like for me to believe that his mercies are new, that I can return, that he is waiting for me with open arms, and as I draw near to him, he draws near to me? Uh, When we begin to sort of think through these layers of the why, it can really release us from a lot of this kind of paralyzing prison of um, apathy or shutdown um, that has hindered a lot of our growth for a long time. Because the enemy doesn't want us matured. He especially doesn't want us made, made perfect in love, like the word says. So true. Um, so it's thinking through those things and wrestling with that stuff, wrestling well with those things, which is another chapter of the book. I write how we actually wrestle well hmm. with this stuff that can really bring a lot of breakthrough.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program. And, and uh, congratulations on your book, Fully Known, an Invitation to True Intimacy with God. Mo Eakin has been my guest. My pleasure. Yep. Have a great rest of the day. We'll take a little break. We'll come back. Hour two is just ahead. We're going to have Dr. Mark Muska in studio. And of course, you know, that's Ask the Professor. You can start sending your questions fast and furious over to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Dr. Muska will do his very best to answer your questions. Maybe you've got something that you've read in the Bible that has confused you or you want some clarification on something, uh, let me know and let Dr. Muska know. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.